Welcome to Outlook Weekend from the BBC World Service. Are you ready for the record that you made number one for me? We're going to start the programme with memories of the man who inspired today's guests. I always say my dad was the original bodyguard from the movie because he was Diana Ross's bodyguard when she was in Atlantic City. When I was a child, he was a police officer in New Jersey. This is Rob Holmes talking about his dad, Bob. You know, kind of a local hero. A lot of people loved him. A man who had a job many children would dream of, a private detective. They called him Chief. Wow. Even though there was some hairy situations, he actually became very well-liked. That's Rob's brother, Jason Holmes. Because he was such an amiable guy. Like, even to the who you would say is the enemy, they ended up liking him in the end. So, Jason, how would you look at your dad when you were growing up? I don't know. I mean, to me, I looked up to him very highly. I wanted to be just like him. Today, raids, Russian gangs, and a lot of fake handbags. I'm Emily Webb, and this is The Adventures of the Counterfeit Catching Brothers. Rob and Jason Holmes are private investigators. Based in California and Texas, they run one of America's most successful firms, busting cybercrime and solving intellectual property theft. Rob is the big brother. I was born in 1970. Jason's five years younger in age, but not maturity. Okay. I look older because Rob doesn't have any kids. That's my theory. <laughs> I just have a little, I have a little bit more hair. <laughs> I'm going to put it out there. You may look a bit different, but your voices do sound quite similar. Have you got, do you think you've got any distinguishing vocal quirks, anything that will help our listeners tell the difference between you? Rob talks a lot more. <laughs> Whoever's talking a lot more, then that'll be Rob. I struggle to ignore the fact they're both detectives and their name is Holmes. So, egged on by my producer, I ask, who would you say, out of the two of you, is Watson? Uh, I'm guessing this isn't the first time Sherlock Holmes has come up, as Rob is supremely diplomatic in his response. I find that to be a tough question because (laughs) we're both very different in our approaches. I'm kind of the the crazy nutty one. And Jason's more like the steady one. Okay. Robin Jason's dad, Bob, was the person who first introduced them to the world of crime solving. He had a little storefront detective agency right near our grammar school. And uh, he did pretty much every kind of work that came by. Bob Holmes was the go-to person in counterfeiting cases. If a big brand suspected ripped-off versions of their designs were being sold, they'd call him. Think fake Gucci handbags, Rolex watches... Cabbage Patch dolls, Bart Simpson dolls, whatever. (laughs) Um, Can you investigate this for us? One way to find out if fakes were being sold was to pose as a buyer. And this is where Bob took the whole take-your-kids-to-work idea to the extreme. Because as children, Rob and Jason would be recruited as undercover buyers. 
you know, it was fun for us, right? So it wasn't work. You know, we lived by the Jersey Shore, so we mm. would go to the boardwalk all the time anyway. And along the boardwalk would be a string of shops, and the instruction to the boys would be... Run in that shop and see if they have uh, wrestling shirts or see if they have Cabbage Patch shirts or whatever the client we were working for was. That's because many shop owners would hide their fake stuff behind the counter. They wouldn't bring them out for adults a lot of times because they were afraid to get busted. But if a cute kid went in there and said, Mm -hmm. hi, I'm looking for a shirt for my brother, you know, of course they're going to pull out whatever they have. And then you're like, oh, let me go ask my mom for money. And you run out of the store and you're like, yeah, they got this, this, this and that. And it was so successful, you know, turned into a raid and they got, you know, thousands of pieces of merchandise. And the big reward for these young detectives in training? You know, Rob says we were paid in ice cream. And when you get those goods, where would they go? Investigators back then stored evidence in their garage at home. (laughs) And I would get up in the morning and see my father unloading a truckload full of hefty bags full of T-shirts into our garage. Is it true that you got into trouble because you'd actually hand them out to your friends sometimes? I did. I remember it was sunglasses, and I remember the brand was Adidas, and the sunglasses were spelled Adidas, D-U-S, and they were misspelled. And, uh, yeah, I gave them out to my friends, and I got in a little bit of trouble. In spite of a suspicious number of local children wearing the same counterfeit sunglasses, Jason says his dad's business really took off. At one time in the 80s, he was probably only one of three or four investigators in the country who did intellectual property work. Bob Holmes is one of today's college-educated young detectives. Intelligent and articulate, he's tough without being a tough guy. Bob Holmes is sitting 10 stories above the streets of Atlantic City. He studies the surrounding area through binoculars while undercover U.S. Marshals and licensed backup detectives, including his teenage son, nonchalantly scour the streets. So far, no bootleggers. But when you're busting businesses around town, you're going to make some enemies. The late 80s, all the way into the early 90s, New York City's Chinatown was the wild, wild west of this industry. That was where all the counterfeits were at the time. You could get anything down there, right? You can get Rolex watches, Louis Vuitton purses, Chanel, Fendi, Nikes, everything. And uh, a lot of the gangs controlled those streets. So they would force these uh, store owners to pay them protection. And when my dad started forming these raid programs, he was going in these stores with court orders, Mm. tearing open boxes, going through drawers, going through everything and looking for counterfeits. So the gangs, they saw this and it was a threat to them. At one point, my dad had a price on his head. They had basically wanted posters hung up you know, maybe in a drawer somewhere, or one guy, I believe, even had it next to a cash register. What was that like for you to see wanted posters up for your dad around town? Part of me was like, oh, that's pretty cool, you know? (laughs) My dad's (laughs) Because I'll tell you what, if you have a wanted poster in Chinatown and you're doing those raids, you're doing something right. I think he finally made it when that wanted poster (laughs) (laughs) I had put my father on such a high pedestal, and I... To me, he was the toughest guy on the planet. You can probably tell from his voice how much Jason wanted to follow his dad into business. And while he was still a teenager, Bob really encouraged him. He'd let Jason go into shops all over New York City on the prowl for fakes. 
And would you be wearing disguises or would you just be going in as yourself? We would have to visit the same stores every single week and write down what was there. But there's always that circumstance where you can get caught and outed. Mm -hmm. And then your career doing the spotting work, because spotting is what we called it, um, the intelligence gathering would be over. So we would carry backpacks with changes of clothes, glasses, ball caps, um, you know, that kind of thing. Bald and we caps. Would, Baseball caps, not bald caps. I had bald oh, caps. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> I had caps, this image uh, of a actually, teenager a with a bald disguise. cap. <laughs> I don't think I, I wore a bald cap, yeah. Before Jason and Rob were the original Holmes brothers, their dad, Bob, and his brother, Bub. Bob and Bub. His brother's name was Lauren. Uh, he was known as Bub, Bubba, Uncle Bub. And these two guys, they must have done a thousand raids together. And um, they were really tight. Hearing about Uncle Bub, and it feels like we're moving away from Sherlock Holmes and more towards the Scooby-Doo gang. He was very into disguises and a dab hand at disguising their raid vans. These were the vehicles they used to go into bus someone. Uncle Bub went all out to make sure they blended in. He'd make them look like courier vans, electricians, and once got a sign made up which said Bub's Plumbing Services. And it wasn't just the outside of the van. We would crumble up garbage from the trash cans and throw them all over the dashboard and make them look lived in and make it look like a contractor has been working in there for months without cleaning it. You know, we would have curtains in the back along all the windows so you couldn't see in mm. because the 15 passenger vans were filled with off-duty firemen, policemen, and us. You know, when you open these, it was like a clown car. You know, you would just have all these big burly guys with trash bags and court orders. This elaborate van disguising was also quite essential because remember that Bob Holmes was a wanted man in Chinatown and the local gangs had a price on his head. These guys were always looking for our vans and they got very good at it. They would have radios set up all down Canal Street and yelling when they spotted something suspicious like our vans. Jason remembers the day one Chinatown raid started to look a little like something out of the movies. We were on Canal Street and everybody just started blowing up. People started trying to close all their shops. They started coming at us with chairs, throwing quarter sticks of dynamite. The street kind of erupted. Um, there was a guy down the street who we called the general, and he was this little old Vietnamese guy who used to be in the army over there. And he always wore his red beret and had his military shirt on. And he got involved in this action, too. I remember one of our guys, he got hit with mace in the face by the general. And luckily, he was wearing wraparound sunglasses, and it bounced off his sunglasses. And our agent grabbed the guy because the guy was coming after him and pointed the mace right back at his face, and it went up his nose. And let's not forget how old Jason was back then. I would say I was probably around... 16 or so. Do you think your dad had any reservations on taking you into situations like that? He trusted my instincts, and I was pretty tough for being a small kid, and I, I kind of knew how to get in and out of situations. Sink or swim, you know? Because um, <laughs> your dad but, had a uh, nickname, didn't he, when he was out on the streets? Yeah, they called him Chief. Wow. Even though there was some hairy situations, he actually became very well-liked. 
he was such an amiable guy. Like even to the who you would say is the enemy, the people on the other side, they ended up liking him in the end. Descriptions of Bob Holmes don't quite match up to the Sherlock Holmes with his violin and deerstalker hat. Bob's tipple of choice was a large beer with a shot of tequila in it, and for Rob, he was... Wyatt Earp in a cargo vest. He was as badass as a person can get, but he had this glisten in his blue eyes and these rosy cheeks, and he was such an amiable guy, people just fell for him. What sort of character was he? Um, I would say that Rob and I... We are my dad, but split. He had the best and worst of both of us. Um, he was very stoic, very strong-willed, but he was also very charismatic, very talkative. Everyone loved my dad. From the outside, things look rosy, but inside the family, the 1980s were pretty tough for the homes. It was very unstable. You know, there was a lot of turmoil in our family when I was young. Rob says things between their parents weren't good. They split up, and my mom was on welfare, and it was a pretty crazy time for us. And um, she, um, she got on the phone with him one night, and um, she basically told him that she was going to kill herself with the gun that he provided to her for protection. And... On the phone, this is before cell phones, I mean, he had to decide, he was 20, 30 miles away from her at the time, he had to decide whether or not he was going to get off the phone with her and go there, or was he going to stay on the phone and try to talk her out of doing this? And he chose to stay on the phone and talk her out of it, Um, and um, that didn't happen. Um, She committed suicide while they were on the phone together. So that really, really messed him up. At the time, Rob was just 11 and Jason 5. They were at home with their sister, Jen. It was kind of a blur for us. But, um, yeah, I remember the night that that it happened. um, All I heard was my father crying. um, And, uh, you know, I woke up from some sort of a dream or something. And then he got the three of us and brought us upstairs to the neighbors and basically said to us, Mommy died. For Rob, it was hard to understand why his mum wasn't around anymore. I always blame my father for my mother's death, and uh, that took a really long time for me to get over. By the time they were in their 20s, Rob and Jason were on different career paths. Jason had moved away from the Chinatown raids and signed up for the Navy, whereas Rob found himself back in the world of catching counterfeiters. It was a life he thought he'd left behind. I was like like Michael Corleone. I left the family business. That's Michael Corleone from The Godfather, of course, a son who tried and failed to leave the mafia. Okay. I was Michael Corleone. You remember the scene where he says, you know, just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. Rob began working for an agency in Los Angeles, and as you might expect, his area of expertise was anti-counterfeiting. Throughout their teenage years, this had been more Jason's thing. 
But Rob remembers the moment he got the nod of approval from their dad. It came after his first successful raid. After my first raid, I got a package in the mail, and um, it was a raid vest. And it was the same brand, same vest that my father wore everywhere. It had pocket. It's basically a fishing vest um, with all the pockets. He would put duct tape and a gun, a knife, you know, granola bars, everything you could think of in these vests. And uh, yeah, he sent me a raid vest, and I thought that was uh, was kind of the coolest thing. I still have it. I believe it wasn't long after that that your sister got married and there was this kind of wonderful moment between you and your dad when you had a toast. What happened? Yeah. Um, yeah after my sister's wedding, we were at a, we were at a bar and um, we had his usual drinks. Uh, you know, we had a shot of Cuervo and a Heineken mm-hmm. and um, I lifted one up and I said, to my hero. And he looked at me and said, to mine. And this was after I'd already uh, accomplished, you know, I already had my own business. I already accomplished a lot in the industry, and I was kind of becoming the new hotshot. And, uh, yeah, that was my defining moment. But it was just a year after that that you did get a call from your sister about your dad. What, what did she tell you? Yeah, I was, I was working late that day in the office, and uh, my sister called me, and um, she said, Dad died. And um, I knew exactly what she meant because, interestingly enough, and it may have been subconscious, but um, that's exactly the phrasing my father used when he told us about mom. Mommy died. And uh, just in my heart and in my soul, I, uh, the second she said that, I knew that, uh, that uh, he took his life. I knew he was going through a lot of stuff. Um, his uh, his brother Bub uh, was with him. You know, they were those two were were inseparable. You know, throughout their adult lives, they were inseparable. And uh, Bub had died of cancer uh, April twenty fifth, two thousand four, and uh, this was the one month anniversary of that. And Jason, how did you find out? Oh, that day, Rob, you called me, correct? Yeah. I apologize. That day is a little bit of a blur for me, obviously. As I said before, I'm a very stoic person. Everybody knows it. My kids say that they've never seen me cry in my entire life. It's probably not true, but (laughs) that's how little I have. Um, And um, I'll tell you, I cried more that day than I ever, probably ever had Mm. in my life. Um, And, you know, he did have, uh, he did write a a short note to us. I guess you can call it a suicide note. Um, although I've never really said that out loud. Um, and he basically said in the note, now I know um, why your mom uh, couldn't go on. He never got over our mother. So it was always lingering, you know, her suicide, you know, what what had happened. Those, You know, 20 years can go by and things can still haunt you. For you, Rob, sort of psychologically, knowing that the two people who have brought you into the world have both taken their lives. What, what did that do to you? I fell off 
the ledge. Um, I was, it was as if there was a trap door that just opened and I fell. Um, at the time, I was married for nine years, and um, my wife and I, you know, I, I felt that she couldn't understand me. I felt no one could understand me because of all this grief and the, the um, you know, my, my father for 23 years, and I think probably, you know, me too, felt like there was one foot on the other side, you know, uh, with mom, you know. And um, I had always felt that way. And I felt like now that dad's there, it was like both feet were there. And um, I didn't know where to go. I was in an abyss. You know, I just, I, I, was, I was a mess. And uh, my wife, Nastasia, you know, and Jason and her were my rocks during that period. Is that yeah. something that you and Jason spoke about? I mean, having that experience of losing both of your parents in that way? After my father's funeral, there was a kind of a murmur that was going around, you know, who's next? Who's next? And uh, Jason and I, I remember we were sitting at Barney's Beanery in West Hollywood, sitting in a booth, having a beer. And, uh, and he said to me, he goes, Rob, if you go, I'm going next. And then my kids are going to grow up without a father. And that was the moment where I said, I'm going to hold this together. Mm. And I realized that um, it was about staying alive and keeping it together and making sure me, Jen, and Jason got through this and we got through it together. And do you think having a brother who was going through the same in that moment really helped you get through that stage? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, without him, like I said, without without him and my wife, I mean, those they were the two. They're, they're still, to this day, they're my rocks. So, Jason, it was after your dad's death that you and Rob decided to go into business together. How much of that decision had to do with what had happened? I don't know um, as much that my... Uh, that my dad's passing um, had a lot to do with my decision, but my dad's passing had a lot to do with bringing us together emotionally. There's an underlying understanding between us, and no matter what we disagree on, we always have that bond, and um, it's something we have in common more than just our blood. So since you started working together, you've ended up working on some quite big cases, including for the huge fashion label, Louis Vuitton. But tell me, Rob, about a Russian spam ring that you started investigating. What were they doing? Yeah, you, you know when you get when you get the email saying, you know, you know, get Rolex watches for eighty percent off, you know, whatever, two hundred dollars, you know, for a pair, you know, whatever. Um, you would get these emails, and they would barrage your inboxes. And I, um, I started making purchases from websites, buying counterfeit watches, and then I started to see that the payee on the credit card statements all started to match. And they all had the same phone number. So I started investigating that. And um, it actually came down to, uh, to this one group of individuals who were known as the Russian Spam Gang. Rob was making these purchases under a fake identity. 
As an investigator, Jason and I are counterintelligence experts, and we have undercover identities set up all over the country. Mm. And they change. Uh, we move them around. When they realized they were being investigated by Rob, the spam gang managed to find out his undercover identity and credit card details. They then sent him a bunch of roses paid for by his credit card. They were roses for a funeral. And it was a funeral arrangement. It said, I'm sorry for your loss. This was a threat, but it didn't stop him. Rob then discovered the name of someone who might be in this gang. There was a guy named Leonid Kuviev, and he was the guy that I had my eyes on. And he was running things from, believe it or not, from Boston. And at the time, we had an undercover identity by pure coincidence in Boston. And do you know one day... <laughs> In our undercover mail, we get a junk mail magazine with Leo Kuviev's name on it. In the investigative world, we always have a saying, there's no such thing as a coincidence. This was a coincidence. <laughs> That's how we found his mailing address in Boston. So they had accidentally put some of his mail in your mailbox. The guy who was investigating Leo got Leo's mail. <laughs> Yes, I got his mail. It was a magazine, and I still have that magazine to this day. How much do you think about your dad when you're doing your work nowadays, Rob? Every day, all the time. Every day. What would dad do? And when you do stuff nowadays, Jason, do you think, oh, how would my dad do it? Oh, yeah, very often. Um, you know, and I, I also still have that, you know, would my would my father be proud of what we're doing here? Um, you know, in my personal life and and work. Um, so you know those things, and because because I was shaped a lot by his his work when I was young. You know, it stays with me, and it will forever. And what do you think he think about you guys working together? It's more of a vision. I see him cocking his head back and smiling, the way he always did when he was proud of somebody. Cock his head back, smile and wink. And that's, that's, it's more of a feeling, but that's, that's what I see. Counterfeit catching brothers Rob and Jason Holmes speaking to me from L.A. and Dallas. I'm Emily Webb, and this has been Outlook Weekend. Casebook closed. <laughs>